Hey guys, you're listening to Drunken Uncultured. We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. It feels like it's been a while since we did this. It was like two weeks ago. Has it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I think February starting like on the... The first being a Friday or whatever. Something like that. Second being a Friday. Something like that. Like the... Usually when it's like the day after a Monday when the month starts and we have like two weeks before the month starts. I don't know. It's that's not the case. It just feels like it's been a while. I don't know. Did you pour me way more beer than you poured yourself? No, I poured it into this and then I poured oh, okay. it into there. See, so it looks way more, but maybe I'm just... Mm, I think it's just the, the, size, the size of the glass. The shape of the glass. It does look like it, it's but I don't like, think Damn, so. you trying to liquor me up on a Tuesday? I mean, this is a 16... Or, I know. Um, I'm... 12 ounce? I don't know. It's your glass. It's arbitrary. It says 420. <laughs> No, it literally does. At 3.14, 4.20, and then 10 divided by 6. I don't know what that is. <laughs> what is that? Five thirds? Sure. Two point. One point six? I don't know. Repeating? I don't know. I don't do math. I don't know. The numbers are arbitrary on this cup. Anyways, we are back. <laughs> That was a long-winded introduction. Um, is it your mom? Oh, My mom? Yeah. No, it's mine. Hold, please. I forgot what day it is. You know, honestly, I'm not prepared either way. Checks out. All right. We're going to talk about my five favorite albums that came out in the month of January. So I will note for 2024, I'm doing rankings by 0.5 so that I can help distinguish a Maybe little a bit more. Uh, between a nine and a ten, and between like the sixes, because I have like a million sixes, yeah, so okay. it's like to give a little bit of more variation to try to figure out where things go. Okay. So the first one I'm going to talk about came out on the nineteenth. It is the debut album from the punk band Teen Mortgage. So they're a punk band from DC, and this has a lot, like a bit of like a retro kind of skate punk sound to it. Super high energy. Um, my first note is if this album came out, how does it have so many listens already? And then, oh, wow, this is really great. It needs a lot of listens. Nice. So I loved it. Um, yeah, we were at the, we were getting tattoos and the guy there like knew about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know who they were before listening to this album and I saw they're coming to town in March and now I want to go. Uh, the next one I'm going to talk, oh, I gave that an 8.5. Um, the next one I'm going to talk about came on out on the 26th, and it is the second album from the Radiohead side project, The Smile, and the album is called Wall of Eyes. Um, it's a very different sound from Light for Attracting Attention. Um, that's the name of the first one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit more of like a down tempo, like maybe... Not even down tempo, but it's like more one level rather than like the other album has so many highs and lows within the songs. Yep. But it's such an interesting listen and I was getting like chills listening to it. Um, I feel like they have so much more creativity being the smile, especially, you know, <clears throat> Johnny and Bomb. Bomb. My boy. Being not having that big Radiohead name, even though we all know them from Radiohead. Which is interesting because The Smile is like kind of a big band too. I would agree. They're not an arena band. But no, but they're like they're like big. small arena. Yeah. Like 
Well, the, the they headlined Pitchfork, so they're not right. small. They're not small. Um, I gave it a nine. I thought it was a really interesting listen. Um, I am regretting not pre-ordering a physical copy of this album. I'm sure there'll be an end of the year. Yeah, I know. on Rough Trade or somewhere. Uh, the next one also came out on the 26th. It is the new album from Ty Seagal, and it's called Three Bells. Um, so I normally am not a fan of hour plus length albums. I enjoyed this from the beginning to the end. Interesting. Okay. I think this is some of his best work that he has ever put out. Better than My Lady's on Fire? Well, since then. <laughs> um, it's been a while since I've been like this level of impressed with a whole album. Yeah. I like a lot of one-off songs mm-hmm. here and there, but I thought it was so good. Um, God bless Ty Seagal. I gave this a 9.5. Nice. I thought it was fantastic. Okay. The next album also came out on the 26th. It is the new album from New Dad, and it's called Madra. So New Dad's this Irish um, rock band. They've a lot got a lot of that, like, new wavy... When I say new wave, I mean like 80s kind of sound to them, but like the shoegazy 80s dreamy section of that. I'm not describing this well, <laughs> but um, they have this really cool like dreamy shoegazy type sound that has a lot of, I would compare a lot of it to like, well, the current band Just Mustard that's okay. been out for a little bit has that same very like dreamy sound to them. Um, it was really cool and it's dreamy. It's romantic. The albums are great. Sort of like my bloody Valentine shoegaze dreamy. Sort of kind of. Yeah. Okay. Some of that also reminds me of the cure a little bit in aspects too. And that's kind of where I was going with like the eighties sound. I don't know why I was having such a hard time describing that. Um, I gave it a 9.5. Also thought it was fantastic. The final album also came out on the 26th. Um, Typically, January is pretty slow at the beginning, and then it picks up because no one's listening to, no one's reviewing new music at the beginning of the month. But um, this one is the official debut album from Goth Babe. He has never know that he has never released a full length album. His only album is a compilation of his EPs that have been previously released. I did not know that he hasn't released. That was that was this is his first official like studio full length album. I did not know that. Yeah, so it's called Lola, and he makes just the most fun, chill, easy to listen to music. It like I don't even know how to describe it other than when I listen to it, I just think about hanging out with my friends. It's fuzzy it's groovy it's, it's like it's, it's the perfect music for like when you're just sitting around i call it talking. day drinking music <laughs> yeah like when you're sitting around talking like you're at a barbecue or yeah. like you're hanging out with your friends like it just feels to me like a hang reminds me of summer yes like yeah. it's very breezy like, yeah sometimes lo-fi vibe to it i described it or i think about it as like the growing up in florida it's like the kind of music you listen to while you're driving to go to the beach to hang out with yep. your friends yeah, crazy. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. Great album. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, my one note was I wish it was longer. Okay. <laughs> Which is not something I say often. But I thought it was an absolutely just excellent album. What'd you give it? Give it a nine. Cool. He is such like a weirdo. He's been living in a boat for like a year. Just traveling all over. And he all posts right. some updates. Um Kinda, yeah. 
Um, He's apparently also released a film to go along with it. Oh, interesting. Um, I think the new rating scale will be interesting. I think it'll getting be interesting a 10, at the end of the year. Well, getting a 10 was hard to begin yeah. with, right? And, like, every now and then you'd have a month where, like, there's a couple 10s, like, very exclusively, very elusively, like, all 10s. And I definitely think that you'll have less 10s now that you can get, agree. That, like, 0.5s out. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to, like, see, see where we just are at how, the end like, of the year. Just when you give out a 10. Like, it yeah. actually is, like, a true 10, because it's not, like, a 10, because this is, like, the best. Yeah. Or this is great. It's a 10, because, like, it's, it's truly, not a 9. Yeah. yeah. It's not a 9.5. Yeah. Like, that makes I'm sense. I'm going pitchfork level. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that makes sense. Like, getting more, like, granular in that mm-hmm. way makes a 10 more elusive. Yep. Here we are. Cool. So, that being said, let's get into the beer. Yeah, um, we've probably done this beer on the show before, but uh, the brewery has re-released it for the first time since 2019, so we are going to do it again, because it's a great beer. It is a good beer. Um, so we're drinking, drinking Boogie Shoes by Beguile Brewing. This is a double IPA. I wish you would have brought the can in here. But Sorry, whatever. I can go get it. Yeah, it's fine. You can redo yeah, it's fine. what we're drinking. Got it. <clears throat> this is a double IPA with galaxy and citra hops. Um, the description is, it won't help you dance any better, but it may produce the urge to put on your boogie shoes. What I think is interesting is, like, back in 2019, we were, like, we loved, not that we don't anymore, but we were, like, very into anything with galaxy, too. Galaxy's not a, not like the main hop anymore. No, but so, it was for yeah. a long time. Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting that like, you know, to bring it back and kind of have that like nostalgic feel, which kind yeah. of works for the episode topic too. Yeah. Which we didn't intend. Mm. So it's, it's a double so IPA, good. but it's so like hoppy, like hopped, I guess not hoppy, but hopped. It almost gives like triple IPA to me. Like, for me, double IPAs can be, like, hit or miss because they're either, like, Juice juicy bomb. or, yeah. like... But this is kind of more on the the malty character mm-hmm. um, than it is on the hoppy character. So, and it's it feels like it's... it's It feels very boozy. For me, um, because this is, like, such a, like, the body of it is so much lighter than a lot of double IPAs because this is not... Right. A... Dry hop. It's just no, a, a it's traditional... Just a straight double. drop. Double IPA. So I think that's like a different drinking experience. I, I think that's why I can rip so many of these for them being eight and a half percent. And I used to just slam this shit. Yeah. Um, so it, I mean it feels like it feels boozy though. It does like to an extent, like kind of taste like it doesn't taste like it's alcoholic, but you taste like you drink it and you're like, I know that's gonna fuck me up. Oh yeah. It's not like one of those like Oh, I could drink it, or like sneak attack ones that are like ten yeah. percent. You're like, I'm crushing this, yeah, without knowing. It's like you drink this and it's crushable, but you know it's gonna. Fuck, oh yeah, it's gonna fuck you up. It's also got a a little bit of, and I know it comes from Galaxy Hop sometimes, um, like a passion fruity yeah. note. And I know that's a gal, it's a Galaxy Hop characteristic specifically, yeah. But I, I think that's pretty distinctive that yeah. tropical flavor. Um, so I'm going to say malty. I'm going to say earthy. And like smooth. I'm actually going to say uh, 
light, I'm going to do light body. I'm going to do juicy. And I actually get a bit of like a floral. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't get as much of an herbal note, but I get like a flowery yeah, note yeah. to it. So that's what I'm going to go with. Okay. Cool. I so, listened to a lot of music in preparation for this episode. I've been so like listening to this music since this year. But um, so it's 2024, if you haven't noticed. Um, I, I, I'm just finding this out today. And we've, we've been talking about this like pretty much since like late last year, I feel like. Yeah. And in general, we've been talking about doing something like this. And it's this episode's going to lead into another episode. Mm-hmm. But we're finally getting around to talking about the 2004 indie scene. Yeah, so... Or music scene as a whole, not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think this discussion kind of started back when, like, the Meet Me in the Bathroom book came out in 2017, which was way closer to that time. That was all these years ago now. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of an inspiration for us to be like, oh, we should talk about the music scene that came out in the early 2000s. And then this year specifically is, like, huge musical anniversaries. Yes. Um, And so just for those that haven't read this book but meet me in the bathroom i don't remember who the author is lizzie goodman but it's a collection of like interviews from from bands bands from the new york they were they came up in the new york scene they're not all from new york but they came up in the new york scene between 2000 and 2011 so we're we're talking about 2004 and the music anniversaries but we're also probably going to end up talking about like the scene as a whole and that time frame, like the early 2000s music, because it's so I think there will be some overlap between yeah. it. Um, can I give some context to 2004 in general? Yes. Um, MySpace hit 1 million users. Martha Stewart went to prison. That was 2004? Shrek 2 was the largest film of the year. It's the year that the iPod Mini was released. Um, at the time, Napoleon Dynamite came out. Oh man, I forgot about that. Uh, Friends and Sex and the City aired their final episodes. And Ashley Simpson did that weird ass lip sync on SNL. And the dance. And the dance. A couple of other fun, these are like fun musical facts. I had a very fun time doing background for this. Uh, February 1st was the Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson Super Bowl. I did know that. Um, the... The 46th Grammy Awards took place, and I'm just going to read the winners, and you're going to be like, dear God. Um, The first ever rap album to win Album of the Year was Outkast's The Speaker Box Box and the Love Below. Well deserved. Beyonce won five awards for Dangerously in Love. Oh my God, okay. Clocks by Coldplay was Record of the Year. No. Evanescence won Best New Artist. Uh, Creed broke up in 2004, and the 2004 Lollapalooza was canceled due to poor ticket sales. Um, but I pulled up the lineup, and it included acts like Pixie, Sonic Youth, The Killers, Wilco, Flaming Lips, String Cheese, Modest Mouse, La Tigra, Danger Mouse, Polyphonic Spree, Broken Social undersold? Scene. undersold? It undersold, and they canceled. What? That's a great lineup. That's what I said. But wow. yeah, just some little fun, little musical 2004, tidbits. what a time. Ooh, also Usher released Confessions that Usher. year, and he's playing the Super Bowl this upcoming yes, he weekend. Is. And I'm calling it now, he's only going to play songs from Confessions. Good. What other songs are there? Is Yeah on Confessions? I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. <laughs> I, don't I quoted that today. <laughs> um. Cool. That's really interesting. That gives a lot of context. It really yeah. does, actually, yeah. like to that time. I didn't think about it that way. That was a good ad. 
I'm glad you did that. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be like, what was trending in 2004 musically? And then I just found a huge list of things that happened in 2004. And I was like, wait, this is fun. So I have Pitchfork's list of top 50 albums that came out in 2004. I have that too. Um, and I'm going to skip around, but I think the things is going to lead a lot of the conversations yeah. that we want to have. Read me the top 10. Um, I got to get there. <laughs> it's a long scroll. It's a long, because they give like a... They, they tell you a whole ass story and write yeah, about Yeah, but I'm going to give like some highlights died. of things that didn't make the top 10 too as I get to them. CeeLo <laughs> Green was number 39 with CeeLo Green is a soul machine. That's pre-Narles Barkley too. Yes. That is not the album with Fuck You. No. I had to look it up. So I was like, wait, is that song that old? No, that song came out when I was in high school. It's really funny because I don't know somebody, a lot of these. And that, like, I think just speaks to our age. Uh, 27, Interpol Antics. That is their second album. 26, Franz Ferdinand, self-titled. Debut album. TV on the radio is number 24, Desperate Dude, Youth. That's their debut Blood Durst, album. Bloodthirsty Babes. 23, Modest Mouse, Good News for People Who Have Bad News. I think that's their third album. I think so. I might say it on here. I think it's like the third album or second. Ugh. I'll name that one even though it's a pretty big album. Number 17, Sufjan C. Stevens, Seven, Seven Swans. Number 11, Sonic Youth, Sonic Nurse. Number 10, Joanna Newsom, The Milk-Eyed Mender. Never heard of it. Oh, Joanna Newsom's amazing. Number 9, Ghostface, The Pretty Tony Album. Number 8, The Go Team, Thunder Lightning Strike. It's a great album, too. Number 7, Devenger. That's their debut album, actually. Number 7, Devenger Banhart, Rejoicing in the Hands. I didn't realize we were in a horror movie with these lights It's been doing that for, like, a couple days, I think. Like One of the bulbs gone? Probably. Number six, Mad Villain, Mad Villainy. That's a great album. Number five, Brian Wilson, Smile. Number four, The Fiery Furnaces, Blueberry Boat. Number three, The Streets, A Grand Don't Come for Free. Number two, Animal Collective, Sung Tongs. That's a great album. And number one, Arcade Fire Funeral. Yeah, so... Also a great album. Um... The, the early, early 2000s was the beginning of, like, this garage rock post-punk revival. And we've kind of hinted at it. We've talked about it a little bit when we did our, like, windmill-centric show. Yeah, we've talked about the first post-punk revival um, coming out of the New York scene. Yeah, in, that like, was... 2001, which was really started by The Strokes and, like, you know, The White Stripes in Detroit and The Hives yep. in Copenhagen or Stockholm. Where are The Hives from? I don't know. I feel like it's Stockholm. Uh, just another part of Sweden. Okay. They a seem city, Swedish. A city that I cannot say the name. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, but, so some of the stuff we're seeing in 2004, we're, it, we're getting like second albums from bands that were a part of that early scene. The Hives released their third album in 2004. Mm -hmm. So that early garage rock post-punk revival thing was like a really, really heavy at the beginning Yep. And then kind of in 2004, we have other bands coming out of that. And then we also are kind of getting that split to the beginning of the indie rock thing that was started by like Death Cab and Postal Service and all that shit. Yes. 
So it's kind of interesting to see those two things split. And then the third split is the emo pop punk. Yes. You kind of have that. And that like, happens range. around 2004. Like the, uh, the, two, some, some of the big ones. The big ones. Yeah. 2004. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it had been going for a while, but that's when you see like the split between kind of the, all of the these indie, become the more mainstream right. thing. Right. Yeah. All three of these areas are kind of like really coming into the mainstream. Yes. Um, because like, yeah, we'll keep talking about it, but it's just interesting that that those are the kind of the three main areas that the rock world kind of was going mm-hmm. to at that point. Although there's also the other side of the rock world, which is like that because that's then, when new metal was yes. kind of dying down. And then we have the dad rock and butt rock. Yeah, but like Nickelback and like the Coldplay. Um, Papa Roach. Yeah. Papa Roach, their big album, Getting Away yeah. With Murder, came out in 2004. Like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it was a very, like, like, we you know how you talk about, like, timeline splitting. That's kind of, like, where, like, rock split, and there was mm-hmm. just a big movement to listening to rock, mm-hmm. or, like, mainstream rock that kind of followed a bunch of different genres. Yeah, and, I mean, if you even think of this time period even beyond the rock world 2004 is considered one of the biggest years for Mm r&b of all time yep so it's just like this culmination of all of this just amazing music came out just across the board and a lot of these bands and they're like these musicians have a lot of them have really stood the test of time Mm -hmm. with their like legacy coming from this time so there's a CNN article that the first line, or the first paragraph is really interesting. Um, it says, if you were a teen at the turn of the millennium, chances are your musical taste fell into one of two camps. You're either a pop kid with the likes of Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, NSYNC, or Destiny's Child on your Sony Discman, or you're a new indie rock kid with poters, posters of Pete Doherty or The Strikes. Oh. The Strokes. <laughs> Cannot speak for some reason. Um, Julian Casablanca's on your bedroom wall. The latter genre was loosely defined. Indie rock acts ranged in style and sound. The Libertines, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, Modest Mouse, Amy Winehouse might all be considered part of the movement, although in very different ways. But one thing that they shared was an aura of cool, which I think is interesting. And it's a good point. Like at that point, we talk about indie music, but I think I want to say like up until that point, indie music was defined as being on an independent label. Correct. And then that around that time became a word just to describe the things that didn't fit into, into the, the mainstream, into the mainstream mm-hmm. genres that already existed. Mm-hmm. And it, Cause these band, these, these guys weren't getting the radio play. No. Like that's where the dad rock really was right. like. Right. But these were artists like death cat for cutie and modest mouse and the strokes that didn't get the radio play initially. But they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger and putting out very solid, very strong albums that they couldn't describe as just rock mm-hmm. because that's what was like the Nickelbacks and mm-hmm. the Coldplays of the world. But these were sort of rock based. Yeah. And that's the way they describe them as like indie rock. And it, they weren't necessarily independent artists, but they were doing something that indie rock had classically done, which mm-hmm. was just different. Yep. Um, it's really interesting too because as we're talking about how this became kind of its own mainstream these bands were on tv mm-hmm. like they were on the the death cab was on the oc or the oc yeah yeah the oc i didn't watch it i just have seen clips of death cab no death cab was on the oc you're right uh, i mean like phantom planet did 
the theme, the theme song, song yeah. for the OC. And like there was just a, such a time where like this was just this music it was like a chokehold on society. This music was getting to all of the young people yeah. through MySpace and through these TV shows that yeah. like really like brought it yeah. forward. Yeah, and I mean, I want to say like I didn't watch the OC when I was growing up. But I was a little young to watch I, it. I don't know that I was young. I think I just didn't care. But like I know for a fact, like my partner Matt found a lot of indie music that was like very influential in his life, and he would have been like thirteen years old, and yeah, or fourteen in two thousand and four. Yeah. Very influential to his current music tastes, and through the OC. For me, like my first exposure of like the stuff I started listening to at that time was like the Garden State soundtrack. Like, yeah, fucking iconic. Yeah, all from that time period. Yeah. Um. My older brother was really into the debut album from The Killers. So okay. I had like an, an illegal burned copy of Hot Fuss. So, and Hot Fuss was on, like, that was, I think, the big that radio. That was the big radio push. one. Yeah. I mean, and then Mr. Franz Ferdinand was around that same time, right. too. And that was also, I remember being like watching MTV and like Franz Ferdinand was always on, like, not necessarily TRL, but, like, during the music videos in the morning mm-hmm. when they actually played music videos. Yeah. Like, it was always on. And then, Modest Mouse was always on there. Uh, wasn't Franz Ferdinand, like, an Apple commercial, too, at one point? Or was that a later album? That may have been a later album. I can't remember. I feel like the Caesars were an album. No, that's not 2004, though, so never mind. That was one of the Apple ads I remember from back okay. then. Um, but going back to just like soundtracks, like we, I think we've talked previously about how around this time soundtracks started to come back. Like for yeah. a long time, like soundtracks were just that. Yep. Um, and 2004, early 2000 soundtracks started to be like good again. Like it was a way to discover music. Yeah. And I mentioned Garden State, like Garden State came out in 2004 and the soundtrack, I remember just like my sister finding music, like, like I mean, it was one of her favorite movies to begin with. Yeah. But she like burned the soundtrack and um i'm trying to find the exact like track list track list yeah it says um on their on the wikipedia page that the music was handpicked by zach braff and he essentially made a mixed cd of all the music that he was scoring that was scoring his life at the time which i mean those songs would have come out before oh four but that's but like so songs on the album include don't Panic by Coldplay, Caring is Creepy by The Shins, um, New Slaying by The Shins. There's Remy Zero, Nick Drake, Simon and Garfunkel, Iron and Wines cover of um, The Postal Service, Fru Fru, which like I remember my sister just being obsessed oh, yeah. with. Everyone that song. liked Fru Fru. Um, yeah, I just remember that being like a fucking chokehold. <laughs> How old was she to been? Like 16 year old, 17 year olds at the time? But what's interesting is because the movie was an indie movie, he um, wasn't able to get all of the songs for the song, song track. It was like mm. licensing. So there are songs that like never appear, but were featured in the movie. Interesting. Um, and then the other, I think, interesting thing too is because that movie, like the, the music was so integral to the movie, when Zach Braff um, sent out like, The script, I believe. 
Oh, sorry. When he was requesting the songs, like the licensing for the songs, he sent out the script as well to mm-hmm. try and like convince people to like use their songs. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, like that was my first exposure to the Shin, which is like one of my favorite bands today. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm saying, my brother was big into the Killers when they first came out because somebody told me it was actually the first single off of the album, and I remember that was on the the alternative radio stations mm-hmm. pretty early when I was we were driving around, you know, the suburbs of Detroit. Um, but I remember when Mr. Brightside dropped. That was like I was what 11 years old, and maybe 12, mm-hmm. and like yep, that was everything it still is i mean yeah. it's still charting it's still charting in the uk, in the UK today and so that's i think an interesting thing is like the absolute chokehold that hoffa's had on everybody and still does yeah um i think arguably the biggest indie album of 2004 i know like i read the list of like the best ones yeah but we all know pitchfork is pitchfork but so. i think like for me that was just like if you think about 2004 and you know that, like, Hot Fuzz came out in 2004, like, you're saying, you would know, like, that's the, that's the album. So, um, what's really interesting about this album in particular, and I think part of why the Killers have had such staying power all of these years. So, when the album came out, it only actually reached number seven in the I States. That, yeah. And it was number one in the UK. And it's because Brandon Flowers, even though he's from Vegas... Sounds like a British guy trying to, or he's like singing like an American trying to sound British, trying to sound American. Well, that's I think the interesting thing too about just the the New York scene, like New York indie scene mm-hmm. at the time is, like for the longest time, I thought the Strokes were British. People thought LCD sound system was British, right? And that was like very integral to that style. It was just like these rock stars from the indie rock scene in the early two thousands sounding British as fuck. I actually don't think the Strokes sound British at all. <laughs> I straight up thought Julian Casablancas was British. I thought that they were a British band until like maybe two years ago. I thought that they were a British band. Like I, I truly did. I don't think they sound British at all. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just your opinion and you are I wrong. think it's because they're emulating sounds that the British post-punk scene did. Well, maybe that's possible, but I do think that that's very like... That's very like um style like a stylistic yeah, thing. Yeah, like yeah. I think sounding British is like kind of what happened at that point. Like they all just kind of sound a little British. But I agree with you. Like the killers really do. But I also like I didn't know they were from from like Vegas and they were Mormons, but I think that's another interesting thing. The Mormon <laughs> thing I still think is weird. I don't know how active any of them oh, are probably in the not. Mormon church, but if you're born and raised in the Vegas area, you're automatically a Mormon. No, yeah, That's just how it is. But I also do remember, like, Jenny was a friend of mine. Um, That is probably my favorite killer song of all All the things that I've done. Somebody told me. All these things that I've done is on Samstown. I'm thinking of uh, when you were young. Yeah. Yeah. That's my bad. <laughs> like, I, like, I looked at it. Because I thought, no, I did think so too. And then I looked well, it Well, so the reason I think that in my head is because the music video is all Western themed. 
No, I... Which is the Samstown vibe, yes, so... and I definitely thought that until I did that, looked it up. Yeah. But so, Jenny was a friend of mine, Mr. Brightside. Somebody told me all these things that I've done in Smile Like You Mean It. Like, they were all Rips. radio hits, too. Oh, yeah. Like, every time I turn on the radio, I'm pretty sure either Mr. Brightside was playing or somebody told me was yeah. playing. Yeah. Or all these things that I've done. <clears throat> Which is this goes to show, like, the longevity of it, too, like... Mr. Brightside's still charting in the UK. It's still, like, an insane song in the United States. Like, people, if you play that, everybody in the bar is going to sing. Oh, yeah. White people go crazy for Mr. Brightside. Absolutely. One thing that I stands out, I just made a list of the albums that really stood out to me from this time. So, when we were kind of talking about the split between, like, the garage rock post-punk revival thing, the straight indie acoustic-y sounding mm-hmm. thing. Um, I feel like, and it's not all, but a lot of that garage rock sound, especially of albums that were released in that year, if it was a debut album, it was from a European band. Okay. Like Franz Ferdinand, Block Party, like some of that. TV on the radio was a late follow yep. from the New York scene, but the other bands in the New York scene, like... Um, Interpol doing their album, and then Bow and Arrows by the Walkmen. Mm-hmm. Like, those guys are all from New York, and they're still sounding like that. Yeah. But that's because they started there. Well, but these European bands are bringing that sound forward, and the American bands were moving oops, uh, into into the new the bands into, like, the indie thing. I think what's interesting, too, is in that time frame, like, we talked about a little bit, a little bit about emo, there was very much, like, if you were in a certain genre and you had a look, you were being pushed. Like, we talked about this in the Fueled by Ramen Gosh, episode. Yeah, we've talked about this When, like, times. if you were a Fueled by Ramen episode, you were getting pushed by that scene so hard. And I definitely think that, like, with the emergence of this indie garage, indie, like, kind of new wave mm-hmm. scene, if you had that sound and you had that look, like, you were getting pushed. Because mm-hmm. so many bands, as you mentioned, like, their first debut album, like, that's, that's redundant, but their debut album. Um, their first debut, on a, unlike their second and third <laughs> debut. <laughs> their their debut album, like, there were so many of them getting big just off of their yeah. de- debut album. They had that sound. Yeah. And that's, I think, like, the capitalization of capitalizing on that, like, indie style yeah. that was becoming big because yeah. of... Like, inclusion in things like Garden mm-hmm. State and the OC mm-hmm. and something else I'm blanking on. Yeah. No, I hear what And I, I think that's a very valid point. Like, I think it's... Your label was pushing you to, like, right. keep... A, to do a repeat of the fir- the success of the first album. Right. So that's why you kind of see that they stayed to that sound. Um, and that's why you see don't. so many... Like a lot of bands in that time frame that didn't exist beforehand also kind of getting that push. Mm-hmm. That if they like met the criteria, they were gonna, mm-hmm. they, they could get big. Mm-hmm. And I think the other interesting thing to talk about that we haven't yet is just the crossover between like fans from the emo scene and the indie scene. Like I, I know pretty much everyone that like I listened to like the emo music or like the punk, the pop punk music that I was listening to also loved the Killers and Franz Ferdinand and Modest Mouse. Like, those bands had such a crossover because they still fit like the rock bill. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the music was still really angsty at the time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was just a different style of angst. So it wasn't like whining and like um, heavy, like um, like double drum kits or mm-hmm. things like that, that kind of like marked the emo scene. 
it was like that new wavy bit while still being kind of angsty like and the it, gris, like the more like garagey rock fuzzy right, right. and it's but the lyrics it. like the music was still pretty angsty mm-hmm. so there is that crossover where like the music's still like kind of it's the same but like same same message but just different packages almost yeah when i think of it that way with like the more angsty side of things that's where you get the more like indie indie sound rather mm-hmm. than like that garage rock sound yeah like, i don't know i didn't know a lot other than like what you heard on the radio i don't know a lot of people that were going out of their way to find the hives and the vines like if you were well, in yeah and i don't know about people going out of their way like if you were in one scene or listening mm-hmm. to one side of it, you weren't necessarily crossing over and like going deep into the other. Because we also didn't have the same kind of access to music discovery that we do For now. Sure. Where agree. genre doesn't exist anymore. None of that matters. Right. And I agree. Like I definitely think like if this had happened in the Spotify era, there would have been so much more crossover. Also, I don't think any of these bands would have gotten nearly as big because there would be a million more bands that had accessibility that didn't even get the yeah. kind of notoriety that any of these bands i think that's a really good point yeah let's be real nothing is sacred in the spotify era and everyone is poor (laughs) true um yeah i mean i just think it's interesting though that there is a little bit of that crossover i will say to this day i still listen to like most of this music like good news for people who love bad news is 20 years old now it came out in 2004 it is still one of my favorite albums ever made. I listen to the Franz Ferdinand self-titled. I listen to that too. I also listen to Interpol Antics a lot. Um, I, I love Interpol. They're one of my all-time like, favorites. The indie music that came out in this time for me is timeless. And I think that's like, we that's talk a little bit. thing. It really is timeless. Like, I, and I listen to it like not even, not every day, but like now that we a have lot. day lists. Half of my day lists are two thousands millennial. 2000s, yeah. It says two thousands millennial garage rock or two thousands yeah. millennial like mall core. And it's yeah. like it's it's always like two thousands and I still listen to this music. Like it has not gotten old to me. It's and when I say timeless, like I really do think that it's timeless. Like we still listen to Franz Ferdinand all the time. Also it's also interesting because some of the stuff that came out this year, bands are still being compared to 20 years later like yeah if a band it doesn't matter if they've grown at all it's like well it's not silent alarm right it's not you know funeral yes um yeah it's wild looking when i was like looking through the list of like the big albums that came out i was like god wow because when we were looking talking about that pitchfork list you have some like really old um, like classic, very famous, have huge staying power, like um, Brian Williams. Like, mm-hmm. hello, everyone yep. knows the Beach Boys. Yes. So things like that, where he is in the mix of like all these album mm-hmm. reviews, along with Arcade Fire, right, and the Killers who just dropped their album. Mm-hmm. Like, I I do think it's interesting. I also think, and we'll talk about this in the next episode, but like. Like, this music has the precursor. Like, it it built off of the original, like, new wave post-punk mm-hmm. scene. But it also, like, fed into a whole other wave of music that we're still seeing being made today. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of this music is still influencing the things that we listen to now. Yeah. And it's just interesting how it's, like, almost like a step-by-step. Like, 
I don't know. Yeah, I just think that that's really interesting. And we'll talk about I want to go too into it because I know we're going to talk about it in two weeks. Um, but we're kind of seeing that regardless, right? Like, regardless of the scene that you're in and the time frame, like, it all kind of like, you're always going to be compared to that. Mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, when I think about certain bands that have come out since then that have had insanely like influential music afterwards, they're still being compared to that music that they're making. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought it would just be fun to run through a list of, like... Anniversaries? Uh, the anniversary albums. At least some of the ones I was able to find. Yeah. Um, the Phantom Planet self-titled, which is actually their, their second or third album, and it's the album where Jason Schwartzman left the band. Um, also, the Phantom Planet. So that's another album that I think is interesting. So that, for, for me, Phantom Planet, and we talked about the crossover, for me, that embodied the crossover. Because Phantom Planet was on Fueled by Ramen. Oh, that's right. And Fueled by Ramen at the time was not- like notoriously a emo pop punk band mm-hmm. or pop punk band uh, label. Mm-hmm. But then there's Phantom Planet that doesn't fit yeah. that label. Yeah. But they're part of that. And they're what are in they? the indie scene. Part of it. But they're in the indie scene. And that's what I mean by the crossover. Like, I know so many people that listened to Phantom Planet. I love Phantom Planet because they were on Fueled by Ramen, but it did not fit that genre. I didn't listen to Phantom Planet. I knew the OC theme song, and then I listened to Coconut Records, and then I found out Jason Schwartzman was in Phantom Planet, and then I went back. Um, I talked about Bow and Arrows by The Walkmen. That album is so iconic now because of the song The Rat, Mm -hmm. which I think everyone recognizes as a quintessential early 2000s rock song. Um, the Scissor Sisters had their debut self-titled mm-hmm. album. That's uh, Smack Your Mama. Yep. Um, Incubus released A Crow Left of the Murder, which is a completely different vibe. But that I did not realize that's the song Megalomaniac is on that album. I did not know that either. I had to look it up and be like, what What songs are on this album? Matt's been listening to a lot of Incubus. Um, obviously, we talked about the Franz Ferdinand self-titled um, also, I just have to say, real quick, as we're talking about Incubus, I know you just started to talk about Franz Ferdinand, but Brandon Boyd, still hot. <laughs> he was listening to Franz Ferdinand, or to um, Incubus <laughs> last week, and I just like went deep into Brandon Boyd, and I was like, that, that guy can still get it. And he's like 50 plus years old. They also, funny enough, just announced a tour today. Oh, did they? Does he know? Uh, mm. I don't know. They're playing Rosemont Arena, though, yeah. so I'm not going out there. Yeah, that's with Coheed, so... Um, I'm looking at, on Spotify, the Franz Ferdinand self-titled album, Take Me Out, has 795,728,398 listens. What's the next one? Uh, the next highest one is The Dark of the Matinee, which is 50... Million. That's a big difference. Yeah. Oh, oh no, I lied. Oh, no, this fire is less listens to Dark no, of the Matt than Dark of the Matt. No, you girls is 89 million. That's not on this album. Oh, sorry. I thought you were just. Yes. No, I'm talking yes, about yes, on yes, this yes. album. Sorry. I thought you were talking about the next of them. But yes, okay. You said 89 million is No You Girls? Yeah, so that's the next highest period of Right. Those. So think about that difference. <laughs> right. We got to listen to it. 200,000 more times, 200 million more times, and then they'll how get many, a billion. How? How many of these is me? 
I mean, I was going to say, how many more times do we have to listen to Love Illumination to get it higher up on this list? How many of these listens is me in general? At least like two tree. (laughs) Two tree listens. Got a couple two tree in there. Um, I love this album. If they, if Franz Ferdinand could do an anniversary tour of this album, I would pay out the ass to go. Because they are so much fun live still. They still are. We've like, seen them a number of times, yeah. too. Um, they're very fun live. The other one I wanted to talk about, and we did a little bit, but good news for people who love bad news, um, which is interesting. So Float On by Modest Mouse, like the most iconic Modest Mouse song. Can you can you read that Franz Ferdinand number again? Hold on. <laughs> a lot of breath to read. 795 million... 728,398. Which song do you think would be more popular? Float on. 388 million. Damn. 398,000. Take Me Me Out, I think, was one of the Apple songs. I think that's the one that was the Apple commercial. But that's the most listened to Modest Mouse song. And I would argue, like, Float On was everywhere comparatively. It's still everywhere. I really wish you could see listens outside of the top five. Yeah, I mean, I'm on my computer, so it helps. Okay, Franz Ferdinand was, Take Me Out was, an, mm. that's what I was looking up. Franz Ferdinand was an iPod commercial in 2004, I guess. I'm also curious about this. Okay, so this one now makes sense then. Mr. Brightside is $2 billion. Oh, yeah. I was going to be like, I was going to be real it. confused for a second if it wasn't. And that's like the biggest by far. The next is somebody told me with 735 million. So still less than taking me out. Wait, okay. No, I lied. It's not an Apple ad. It is a PlayStation portable ad from 2005. The PSP? Yeah. Forgot about that. Yep, that's what it was. It was also featured in NFL 2005, NHL 2005, Sean White Snowboarding, Guitar Hero, Guitar Hero Smash Hits, and a bunch of other dance e games. All right, keep going through the list. <laughs> I'll just go down to Franz Ferdinand rabbit hole. Um, Kylie Minogue Body Language, which I actually was doing digging on this album, was partially produced by Dan Carey. Okay, interesting. Yeah, which is interesting that he does, like, he's, like, he's known the, as, like, the, the post, modern yeah. post-punk guy. And he's also, like, Kylie Minogue. <laughs> Love that. Um, the debut album from Chromio. Okay. She's in control. The self-titled debut album by The Cribs. Uh, we talked about Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes, TV on the Radio. Um, I love, love TV on the Radio. Um, I remember the first time I saw them, and I've definitely told this story before. I was with Justin at Riot Fest in 2018, mm-hmm. and I cried. It was me and a bunch of 40-year-old dads crying. It was great. Um, Seven Swans, we talked about. Our Endless Number Days, Iron and Wine, Good News for Bad... Uh, good News for People That Love Bad News. The Ratatat self-titled album Dude, I forgot out. about them. That... Even though this came out in 2004, they were so popular when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Animal Collective, obviously. There is one other thing I wanted to talk about Hit it. that I think is interesting. So 
we talked about the longevity of this music and this time frame. Um, and I think just kind of evidence of that is the existence of Just Like Heaven. Oh, yeah. The festival. I so, mean, it's more than just early 2000s. Well, but... on their website, they describe it as... Um, hold on. Hold, please. Just Like Heaven is a music festival featuring your favorite era-defining indie artists from the 2000s. Um, which, I mean, I'm sure at some point they're going to expand, but I just think that the fact that there is a festival, I mean, great, it's a one-day festival, but the fact that there's a festival that is specific. They used to do it two days. Okay, I did it not It reduced know that. to one day in 2022 when it came back from the pandemic. It was two, it was, it was two days, but the same lineup both days in 2019, which was the debut year. Okay. Because when they released it, it was so hot and the tickets were so hard to get that they made yes, it I see it, uh, but it's the same festival. Yes, each day. yeah. So yeah. it's sort of like when we were when young, we were young, which again, like another genre like genre specific. time frame specific. I guess not time frame, but I think it's just interesting that like these artists that we're talking about from this time frame, um, they have a whole festival now because of people wanting to see them because the mm-hmm. music is so like long lasting. Um, some of the other albums I wrote down were Hopes and Fears by Keen. That's where Somewhere Only We Know came from mm-hmm. and made all... Wasn't there the, like Snow Patrol around that time too? Snow That's more in like the pop spectrum, but I think... I think they got looped into that too though. Yeah, Snow Patrol had did I think have, did have an album. Maybe it was 2003. The song Chasing Cars, I think I feel like... No, it's came not out. that. Oh, Final Straw. That's the one okay. that came out in 2004. That's the one with um, Run, okay, which yes. is like one of the super sad ones. And that's all the feelies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I remember. Um, Up All Night, Razor Light. That was really popular. Mm-hmm. The Future Head self-titled. Tyrannosaurus Hives. Libertine self-titled. Caspian self-titled. Set Yourself on Fire by Stars. So Jealous by Tegan and Sarah. That's mm-hmm. Walking with a Ghost. Yep. Um, we talked about Block Party, Horns of Plenty, the Grizzly Bear debut was that year. But also, like, you know, it's not the indie thing, but I want to highlight some of the other rock albums that came out that year because I think it's really interesting because we've kind of touched a little bit on the juxtaposition between some of these. Mm-hmm. 2004 was Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by yep. My Chemical Romance, is a Real Boy by Say Anything, Futures, Jimmy World, They're Only Chasing Safety by Under Oath, American Idiot by yep. Green Day came out in 2004. All in the other half of the scene, though, where yeah. it emo pop punk. Census Fail, Let It Unfold You, From First to Last, Dear Diary, yep. My Teen Angst, Has a Body Count. Like, um, Take Max Sunday had an album that year. Uh, it's the one with the decade under the influence. I can't Where You Want to Be. Yeah. Um, Silence in Black and White by Hawthorne Heights came yep. out that year. Mm-hmm by Reliant K came out that year. Huge year for emo music. Huge year. Call up the Jesus Kids. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting. Like, we talked about, if you were in one of the two scenes, you were getting pushed hard if oh, you yeah. had an album coming out. Or yeah. to, to drop an album. And you're kind of seeing that with, like, just how many from the emo side are, yeah. like, also, like fucking Ooh, wait. album people still listen uh, to this. Chuck day. by Sum 41, Siren Song of the Counterculture, Rise Against, Still Not Getting Any by Simple Plan. Oh, that one was good too. I think Good Charlotte. Uh, Chronicles of Life and Death. Yeah. 
A Hangover You Don't Deserve by Bowling for Sue. God, the album was so good. Um, Avril Lavigne, Under My Skin. Mm -hmm. That's that angsty shit right there. Uh, Catalyst, Newfound Glory. That's not Melissa. That's not Melissa yet. Um, La Tigra did their final album, This Island. Like, um, oh, one of my other favorite ones. This is just because I'm weirdly obsessed with this band. Slipknot, Volume 3, The Subliminal Verse, which features the song Before I Forget. That song is 20 mm-hmm. years old. So, yeah. Crazy, huh? 2004, what a time. Uh, Kelly Clarkson released Breakaway. Like, I'm just trying to, like, get my head around how much came out. And now I have that song stuck in my head. Well, that's a you problem. So much came out that year. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah, it's crazy. William Shatner had an album. What? Yeah. The indie rock spoken word alternative rock <laughs> album called Has Been. Wild. Um, so next episode, we'll kind of talk about an evolution of this sound a little bit. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll continue talking our music bullshit and then I'm not allowed to talk music for a while. So yeah, it'll be a while before we talk about music again, but we're getting in our two anniversaries essentially. And I think it'll be fun to talk about like how they are two anniversaries for now, <laughs> for now, um, about how they like influence music today and yep. like, the scenes and around that time. I'm really excited for the next one too. Same. All right. So with that. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please go on your favorite podcast streaming service and give us a five-star rating. And if you listen through the music and the outro information, we'll all be there. And you, I don't know what that means, but all of our socials will be in that outro information. And you can get in contact us with us there. You can follow along with all of our drunken shenanigans on Instagram at drunken uncultured. You can also contact us by email at drunkenuncultured at gmail.com. You can find me, Lindsay, on Instagram at Lindsay Sold Out. And you can find me, Stephanie, on Instagram at underscore Stephen Color.